Hello, 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 you beautiful people, wherever you are and whenever you are listening to this episode today of the YBR Remo Show. Derek and I had the chance to sit down or stand up and have a chat with uh, Julie Kuzmich this week on the show. And Julie brings to us a wealth of information around credit. Julie works actually with Equifax as the Director of Consumer Advocacy. So she knows her stuff and she knows what she's talking about. And the cool thing about having Julie on the show here today is that she does a fantastic job of explaining the common myths and concepts around credit that a lot of people get confused and breaking them down into easy digestible facts. There were things that we picked up along the way. She brought a lot of information to light as it pertained to the pandemic. And I think that pretty much every single person that that listens to this episode is going to walk away a whole lot wiser as it pertains to not just your credit, but the information that you share with other people, especially if you're in the industry. So make sure to listen to this episode, take some notes, have your notepad in front of you, whether you're thinking about applying for a mortgage now, or you're thinking about applying for one in the future, this will impact you in a positive way if you listen through. So check it out. Before I get too much further, we got to give away our uh, Thrive Mug of the Week for our five-star reviews. Wow, I, I'm not going to lie. When I showed up here and I went and looked at our reviews today, I was so pumped because I think we had six or seven new reviews and I just had to pick one. So I just went with the first one we had, which I don't know who you are, but make sure to send us a screenshot if you're listening to this so we can send this beautiful mug and copy your way. But this comes from SAMRT14. So SAMRT14, we appreciate you. He says... Uh, super helpful. I love these guys and their down to earth knowledge of all things mortgages as a real estate professional. I forward all their videos and podcasts to better explain the processes to my clients. The feedback on them has been amazing. So make sure to, after you checked out the podcast, check out their video series on YouTube as well. And that's true. We do have tons of videos on uh, Facebook and YouTube. If you haven't checked us out at Thrive Mortgage Co. on both. Thank you so much. You got a beautiful Thrive mug coming your way along with some delicious coffee. We can't wait to send it to you. So let us know who the heck you are. Well, in the meantime, make sure to enjoy this episode. Coming from myself, Alex McFadden, my partners, Dean Lawton, Derek Williamson, Thrive Mortgage. Talk to you guys soon. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Uh, Julie, I was talking to you a few minutes ago, and you were kind of explaining your role with uh, Equifax, and you shared with us that part of what you get to do is talk to people like us on a regular basis, but you do a whole lot more than that. What's what does Julie's day in the life with Equifax look like? What the heck do you do over there? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, like most people, I have my share of IT issues that I need to work through on a fairly daily basis. Um, but I'm really focused on trying to help Canadians feel more confident when it comes to the use of credit and their own credit situation so that people feel more confidence making those financial decisions that might affect their credit standing overall. Fair. Well, that's that's probably a pretty important role. As we discussed, one of the big reasons that uh, Derek had reached out to you to get you on the show here today was because credit in general is probably um, one of the most mystifying parts of the, uh, I, I'd say, key uh, considerations of the lending process. And so we thought, why not get somebody who knows what the heck they're actually talking about from the inside out over and above what's been advised them to share some some light on that piece. So 
I guess kind of starting off like with regards to credit, I mean, let's just lay it out for anybody who's listening that maybe just what the heck is that word? I don't really fully understand it. Like what is it in a nutshell and why does it even matter to somebody who's getting a mortgage or a lender for that matter? Sure. So um, is the word credit that we're talking about here? Yeah. Okay. So credit usually refers to the idea of getting something before you're paying for it. So whether that's a loan that uh, you get uh, and then need to pay back or whether it's service credit, something like a cell phone where you use the phone for a month and then get the bill after the use of the phone. Um, there are some really common types of credit that people would be familiar with, credit cards, where you use the credit card to pay for something and then you get a bill from the credit card issuer uh, at the end of your billing period. Uh, car loans, uh, mortgages, of course, you're in your whole realm. Uh, so those are some of the common types of credit that, uh, that people would be coming across. Awesome. Uh, that's a, that's a good explanation. Like, so, so with that being said, let's, let's just get right into it. Why, why would a, I guess a, a lender or anybody who's, who's looking to, to give you any money be putting such a big emphasis on a company like Equifax to, to make a decision as to whether or not they should be giving someone that mortgage or at what terms or, or that uh, mobile phone for that matter. So let's, let's take a step back and imagine if you will, a applying for a loan at a bank, some, something like a hundred years ago. So you imagine going into a bank branch and telling them that you would like to borrow some money for whatever the reason is. Now, how is that bank manager going to make a decision on whether or not to lend you the money? Probably they're gonna ask you some questions. Do you have a job? It's probably going to help if you happen to already know the bank manager or if they know your family or there is a good reputation that you have in the community. But for people who are maybe new to the community, that could work against them, that they don't have anything to demonstrate that they are actually a good credit risk and they are going to be paying the money back that they're asking for. So the whole point of credit bureaus, which is what Equifax and the other major one in Canada is TransUnion, that's what, what we are. The whole point of credit bureaus and credit scores, which we'll dive into shortly, is to provide a level playing field so that all of us consumers are being judged consistently using the same information when we're applying for credit. Right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense uh, as far as an agency is concerned. Um, I mean, getting into that piece right there as to how they make the decisions, sorry, the decisions and how they get to the judgment. I think I think further down, I want to get into or Derek's got a note here to get into the specifics as to how uh, uh, Equifax or that company determines uh, credit and what that looks like, you know, with what's happened recently in, in the last few months, I should say, with the pandemic and everything going on right there, a lot of people, whether or not they know about how Equifax works, have been reaching out and saying, hey, what is the impact of 
the deferral going to be potentially on my mortgage and and what are the trends that are happening and what is a lender going to look at and we've just seen so much uncertainty so i guess to be more specific in my question i know you can't answer anything you know specific as it pertains to statistics yet but maybe you could share with this hopefully like some of the trends that you and equifax as a whole are seeing as it pertains to uh the impact of of covid on on people's credit like are there any common trends uh you know and, and and if so are the deferrals impacting credit like what's happening from your perspective yeah this is a great question let's talk about deferrals for a minute so um the way that credit bureaus work is that the lenders or credit card issuers are sending data to the credit bureaus typically on a monthly basis about all of their account holders so whether or not you are aware of it, the information about your Visa card or your MasterCard or your car loan or mortgage is getting sent to both credit bureaus and getting updated on your credit report or your credit file on generally a monthly basis. So what happened when the banks and other lenders announced the deferral programs early on in the pandemic was that the industry had to get together and figure out how do we make sure that people don't get penalized from a credit perspective because of taking advantage of these deferral programs? And here's why it could be an issue. If you imagine that your mortgage lender has agreed that you can make no payments for the following six months. So you're basically going to be paying $0 each month for the following six months. If they continued reporting in the standard way, that information to the credit bureaus, then it would look like you're being a terrible customer. You're not paying month over month. It looks like you're missing all these payments. And so the, the credit bureaus came together with the industry to take a look at every piece of data that gets reported and how we could make some adjustments to some of the key elements to make sure that somebody with deferred payments isn't going to have something horrible reflected on their credit report where it looks like they're just missing payments when in fact they've made this arrangement with their bank and the bank has given them permission to not make the payments. And so we came up with a set of specifications which went out to the industry and we worked with every single lender that sends data to us and both Equifax and TransUnion were in lockstep here. So Every lender is being treated exactly the same way. There's consistency for all consumers and certain data fields are being adjusted so that it doesn't look like somebody is first 30 days late, then 60 days late, then 90 days late and so on. Those fields are adjusted to reflect the fact that they have approval to skip payments for a certain period of time. So what that does when it comes to the credit score calculation Credit scores are calculated based on the information that is in your credit report at the time the score is calculated. So when that, that account is taken into that overall credit score calculation, there isn't that negative information. It's showing that you are paid and up to date, even if you haven't made a payment for the last three months, as long as this was an agreement that you made with your bank. Obviously, you can't just decide, oh, it's a pandemic, I'm going to stop making my payments without having that approval from the bank and expect the same treatment. 
So nobody should assume that deferrals are in place. You have to actually communicate with your lender. Uh, I've had a lot of clients that weren't aware that they could defer car loans and credit card payments as well. A lot of people tie it to mortgages. So it's actually for most credit products. I understand that you can defer. Um, and so what, what we've been seeing from our side is you're bang on. There's no negative impact to the credit score itself. But when someone's applying for a mortgage in that example, you're obviously, you know, trying to position yourself uh, with some strength, with your income, your down payment, and you're trying to tell an institution that you can qualify for the mortgage that you're trying to achieve. Now, when a lender sees that you have two or three credit products currently in deferral, they, of course, have to question that, right? Well, has your income dropped? Uh, are you having challenges making your payments? And unfortunately, a lot of the answers that we get are, no, but I thought it'd be a good idea to defer. Like, my friends are deferring, and I thought I might be able to get ahead, right? So a lot of these people are kind of shooting themselves in the foot. If there was no negative impact to their income and they could continue making their payments and now they're applying for a mortgage, these lenders are saying, well, explain that to us, right? Your income has not changed. So we're telling all of our clients, if you don't need to defer, absolutely do not defer. If you need to and you've gone through, maybe it was a three-month piece where you were off work and you had to defer, that's okay. We just have to explain to the institution or the mortgage lender that you are now back to work and you're no longer in deferral. So that's a condition that we're seeing come through with a lot of approvals is they're going to say, okay, we'll give you this approval, but you have to prove that your, your vehicle loan is back in repayment. I'm glad that you put that in context because that's an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, one of the regulations around credit bureaus in general is that we are not allowed to issue ratings for consumers. So credit bureaus are simply taking the information that they're sent by the banks and lenders, and then they are sending it on under certain circumstances where the regulatory requirements are met, sending them on to the banks, lenders, and so on who have the legitimate purpose and, and legal ability to access that information. We get asked a lot things like, well, what's a good credit score? Or how is Equifax rating people who have the following situation? And it's important to remember, while we will calculate a credit score, and I know we're going to dive into that shortly in a little more detail, that isn't actually the credit bureau creating a rating for the person. It is always up to the lender to make their own decision based on their own criteria. So credit scores are often one of the inputs, but as you know, with mortgages, they have so many questions. They want to know your employment status, your income, any bank account holdings, all kinds of other stuff. That information isn't on your credit report. So not all of the aspects of a lending decision is coming from just a score or just the credit report itself. Yeah, absolutely. So just to kind of give a high level explainer, so the banks will be the ones that are giving the credit, whether it's a credit card or a loan or a mortgage, and all of these institutions for the most part will report to the credit bureau system, Equifax, right, or TransUnion, and then you guys populate all of this information and that's where banks will go to basically receive and review credit history, right? That's exactly it. And one of the important things that is a critical piece of that whole process is the individual's consent. So nobody can go take a look at your credit report without your express and explicit 
consent yeah. to do so. So that's why that's one of the steps in the process when you apply for a mortgage or apply for a credit card, you have to specifically give your consent for your credit to be checked. For sure. And on the credit bureau, so there's a few other things that populate. It's not just your liabilities. It's typically your name. Sometimes it will show your previous name. It shows your address. And typically it will also show your place of work or what industry you're in, right? Is there anything else that would show up on a credit bureau that I haven't touched on there? I know there's sometimes fraud alerts as well. Uh, so in the identification information, you might have a social insurance number as well. Um, but then there are a few other sections on credit reports that don't always come to mind immediately. So one of the important ones, and I know you have heard about this and talked about it in different contexts, is what we call the inquiry section of the credit file. So this is where it, it is a log of every time your credit file has been accessed for any reason. This is a legal requirement. We have to keep a record of every time your credit file is accessed. And that's because you as a consumer have a right to see who has accessed your credit report and when. And so the terminology for that is an inquiry. So somebody made an inquiry against your credit file. And there are two categories. There are hard inquiries and soft inquiries. The main difference is that hard inquiries are visible to lenders. Soft inquiries are only visible to the consumer themselves. So if I go and get a copy of my own credit file and take a look at it, I'm going to see hard inquiries and soft inquiries. But if you as a business take a look at my credit file, you will only see the hard inquiries. Now, obvious next question, why? <laughs> What's the difference? A hard inquiry is any time the credit file was accessed because you were applying for credit. So that's where I've applied for a mortgage and given my consent. I've applied for, could be a car loan, a credit card. Those are all going to be hard inquiries. A soft inquiry would be where I'm getting a copy of my own credit file, which I can do for free and we all can as many times as we like in Canada. That's a right that everybody has. Uh, that would be a soft inquiry. So that's only visible to me as the owner of that credit file. It's not visible to lenders who may see my credit file subsequently. So Things like uh, job applications where uh, sometimes you have to do a credit check as part of a pre-employment background check. That type of thing would be a soft inquiry as well because it's not associated with an application for credit. So just out of curiosity, like, I don't know if you can answer this question, but why would a lender, um, I mean, I can understand it in theory, but why would a, a lender uh, be concerned if someone has applied for X amounts of times for credit if, in fact, they've shown a very strong repayment history and they've not over, and you'll talk a little bit about utilization in a minute here, but if they haven't overutilized themselves, if they haven't put themselves in a situation where they aren't paying their, their credit or they've never had any previous issues, um, why would a lender be concerned about that or why would it negatively impact someone's credit? Yeah, so thanks for raising that. So a hard inquiry can impact a credit score. It doesn't necessarily, but it can. And we will get into that in a little more detail shortly as well. Soft inquiries never impact credit scores. So why? Why would a hard inquiry potentially impact a credit score? When credit score algorithms are designed, so when that equation is created, 
by the uh, statistical analytics folks who understand and talk about things that I will never have a hope of understanding. When they create these algorithms, what they're actually doing is taking a look at millions of Canadians' actual credit files. They're depersonalized, so they're not able to see anybody's personal information, but they take a look at millions of credit files from, say, two years ago. And then they take a look at those same people's credit files one year ago. So there's a 12-month gap between those credit files. They look at the first set and say, what information on these credit files was statistically most predictive of people starting to miss payments? Because that is actually what a credit file is designed to do. It's predicting whether people are likely to start missing payments. And it turns out that the most predictive element of whether people will miss payments is whether they've missed payments in the past. So that's the, the top category for information that goes into a credit score calculation. And we'll dive into the other one shortly, but to answer the question about inquiries, one of the smaller factors in a credit score calculation is hard inquiries because there is a statistical correlation between applying for a lot of credit in a short period of time and starting to miss payments. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that anybody listening to this who thinks, oh my gosh, I was just shopping around for a mortgage, I think I probably tanked my score. Not necessarily. Hard inquiries will affect different people in different ways depending on the other elements in your credit report at the time the score is calculated. So to your question about why might a hard inquiry or evidence of applying for credit affect somebody's credit standing who otherwise has a long, solid history, the answer is it might not have much of an effect, if at all, for that person. And that's a good explanation because I find that we get this question. I mean, Derek, you could speak to this as well, but we, we get often asked, hey, I don't want my credit pulled right now because previous to coming to you folks, I did check with my bank. I just want to work with you guys instead. And they say, but I don't want my credit pulled because my bank might have done this or or some other variety of you know situations like that. Hey, I want to find out what I could qualify for, but I don't want to. I mean, the the paradox of that that um, comment is that commonly the people that say that are the ones that have the least concerns. They they're that really have don't need to worry about their credit per se. But it is a good question. I mean, we we onboarded a client this morning that did have an uh, uh, not a positive experience elsewhere. And that was the first thing he brought up is, hey, I really want to work with you guys, uh, but this is my concern. And uh, to my understanding, Julian, you can certainly uh, jump in at this point, exactly your point, if he's shown or had a proven history of repayment and good credit utilization in the past, then then the negative impact of another credit uh, inquiry would be very minimal at, at most. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say. And another thing that I want to highlight is, first of all, I'm so glad that people have some awareness of that connection, but it's important for people to be aware of the second half of that, which is that a lot of the different credit score versions, and this is another 
potential big surprise. A lot of people are surprised to hear that there isn't just one credit score. There are multiple credit scores and different versions out there. But a lot of them take into account the way that we actually shop. So mortgage applications and car loan applications, that type of hard inquiry gets handled differently from any other type of hard inquiry because if you see that somebody has, looks like they've applied for five mortgages in the last week, it's very unlikely that that's because they're planning to actually open five separate mortgage accounts. They're probably shopping around for mortgages. And same thing with car loans. People are going from one dealership to the next to get a sense of what they might qualify for while they're test driving cars. The same isn't true for something like credit cards. If you see five hard inquiries related to credit cards in within the period of a week, statistically, often that person then goes and opens those five new credit card accounts. So the credit scoring algorithms take into account recent groupings of hard inquiries specifically related to mortgages and then separately related to car loans. And those get grouped together in what they refer to as one shopping event. So the, the time period varies between different score versions of how long any number of inquiries can, what time period they can span and be grouped together. It's typically between seven and 45 days, depending on which score version you're talking about. But the important point here is that there is logic in there to try to avoid penalizing people for doing something that's completely normal and not indicative of what I'll call poor credit behavior. Okay, that's that's interesting. That's really good to know. I mean, it, it, I, I kind of had a high level understanding of that, but I think the way that you explained it was was perfect. And that's going to be very helpful for us as well to explain that to, to new clients that we're that we're working with. So on that on that point, Julie, maybe there's something that you could explain. Um, just just a general overview on this piece is what uh, we get here from a lot of buyers that are accessing their credit via a number of different apps that I, I don't think it's any point in naming the names, but there's a variety of different apps and software and even some of the banks have a, a version of it attached. And, um, you know, quite frequently we'll get a screenshot or a conversation from a client that says, hey, I have, you know, this is my credit score based on this app or this X and it's always uh, it always appears to be very different from what their actual score is based on our end. Uh, you mentioned that there might be a soft check, maybe just a, sh a short and sweet. What's the why is there such a variance? What is going on out there? And and uh, is there anything that a consumer should be concerned about when they look at that? These are great questions and very common. I'd like to highlight the fact that there have always been multiple credit scores out there. It's just not something that people were widely aware of. So I think it's fantastic that we in Canada are starting to get better access at no charge to our own credit information, including credit scores. That's really important. One of the tough things is that there's a lot of confusion and misinformation out there. And sometimes these events that surprise people, like seeing multiple scores, causes a lot of confusion and, and potential suspicion about like, well, why is there more than one and which one's right? So a couple quick points about the fact of there being multiple scores. 
there are a few historical reasons about why this happened over time that new scores get developed when one of two things happens. Either a new type of data starts being reported to credit bureaus, and the two things that have happened in the last 10 years or so that are quite relevant in Canada on that front are mobile phone data that didn't used to be reported to credit bureaus and then it started being reported in, in the last uh, six to eight years. And in the same time frame, you may be aware that mortgages didn't used to get reported to credit bureaus, even from the major banks. And the reason for that was that they were worried that their competition was going to poach their clients if they could see the mortgage information. So as an example, and I'm just going to randomly use bank names here, let's say that I have a mortgage with Bank of Montreal and I go and apply for a mortgage with Van City. Let me correct that. I'm going to go and apply for a credit card with Van City. So as part of that application process, Van City is going to ask for my consent to check my credit file and my credit rating. When I give my consent, they're receiving my whole credit file. So if my BMO mortgage is listed there and they can see the start date of it and the remaining balance is still pretty high and my mortgage start date was about four and a half years ago, they can make a pretty good guess that I'm probably about to renew my mortgage because it's pretty common that people do five-year terms. So when they send me my first credit card bill, and this is totally unrelated to the mortgage, but they might choose to put in some pretty heavy marketing material suggesting that they've got some great introductory mortgage rates and they're willing to pay a pe the penalty on your behalf if you're breaking a mortgage early from some other lender. That was the concern that the banks had. And so they didn't want to send their mortgage data to credit bureaus. Eventually what happened was the lenders all got together and came up with an agreement about masking certain pieces of information in credit files that are being sent to the competition so that it's not quite as easy to reverse engineer the details of the mortgage and to try to poach a mortgage client. So that's a kind of interesting tangent, but the question that you were asking had more to do with why there are multiple versions. So when a new piece of data starts being reported to credit bureaus, so one of these examples, mortgage or mobile phone data, it can't be included in an existing credit scoring algorithm. It's kind of like trying to add an egg to a cake that has already been baked. Your only option is to go back and start from the beginning and create a new cake that includes the extra egg. And that's what had to happen when the mortgages started being reported. And again, when the cell phones started being reported. But it's a big deal for a bank or a lender to change the score version that they're using. That's a whole other conversation that we can probably have for another 90 minutes. So some lenders stay on an older version of a score. And that's why one of the reasons why you might see some differences because some scores are not including the mortgage information or and or the cell phone information while other scores are including that. So that's one reason you'd see the variation. And just briefly, the second reason is that 
different score versions. They all take the same source information. They're all based on the information in the person's credit file at the time the score is calculated, but they might have slightly different weightings. So one score algorithm might put a higher weight on number of open credit card accounts. Whereas another score version might put a higher weight on uh, current balances across all types of accounts. And so that's why you can see that variation in numbers when the scores were calculated at the same time based on the same information in the credit report. I mean, it's really interesting to hear that feedback. And I think as a consumer, that could almost be more frustrating to not really say, so I get it, I have a score, but now I have multiple scores, yet they're not from a certain time frame. they're from multiple time frames. Seems like a pretty... Uh, crazy little process over there um, that they've got so many different factors going in. And, and to your point, um, you know, it, it, it does come down to multiple parties making decisions on what they're going to report and not report. I didn't know that stat, the reason why was the poaching uh, for the banks, but I'm not surprised to hear that. Uh, I mean, it's also probably not surprising for most consumers to understand that's that's one of the main reasons that the fixed rate mortgages have such substantial penalties is they don't want you to leave them, obviously, either. Um, so with that being said, really, really, really key stuff. I mean, so let's let's lead into some common questions that we hear and maybe we can almost go rapid fire on some of these uh, answers. I think you're going to have some great insight on. Um, so if uh, if a consumer is, uh, you know, in a situation where they're trying to um, and again, I know I'm asking you to be rapid fire on some big questions, but they're they're saying to me, hey, Alex, like what are what are, say, the top three to five things that I can do to uh, to improve my credit, to put myself in a good standing in the shortest period of time? What would you tell somebody if you only had a couple minutes to answer that? The most important thing is pay your bills on time. And people are always looking for a magic bullet or the big secret of how can I gain my credit score? And if you remember that scores are intended to predict the likelihood that you will pay your bills on time, then you'll understand why that's the most important thing to do is pay your bills on time. So if you had to make a decision, say, if you're looking at a credit card bill and you can either pay the minimum on time or pay it in full a little bit late, I would go with paying the minimum on time and then pay the rest when you can. But that's what you agreed to do in your credit card issuer agreement that we all agree to when we open a credit card. We all said, I will make the minimum payment on time. So that's one of the key things to do for all of your credit accounts is just make sure you're paying on time and if you can't, for some reason, pandemic related or otherwise, reach out to the organization, reach out to that lender. It can be hard to do. I absolutely acknowledge that none of us feels like getting up off the couch and calling our bank, but they can work with you in so many cases and help avoid damaging or further damaging your credit situation. So that's one thing, and I know we're trying to go rapid fire, but just to throw another one at you, if you have something that is quite negative on your credit history, so let's say you had an account that got so late it went into collections, there's no magic bullet for getting that off. It'll sit on your credit file for a period of six years, after which it'll be removed. But you should know that the older and older it gets, 
the less and less of an impact it'll have on the credit score calculations as long as there aren't new negative things being reported. So if you're continuing to make your payments on time while that negative item is getting older and older, then you should be seeing your scores increase over time. That's really good to know. Those are good points. Uh, and I think another huge one just from my experience is utilization. Uh, I find, you know, we've I've seen clients that have absolutely perfect repayment. They've never missed a payment in years, but they've had a maxed out credit card of $10,000 sitting there and they're making the minimum payment over and over and over again. But their credit score is far below what they think it should be. Right. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but having a maxed out credit card, if you're sitting at the absolute limit, you're making your, your minimum payments. That is kind of telling the the credit reporting system that you have over overextended yourself and you can't afford to pay that product down. Right. The second biggest piece of the pie when it comes to the credit score calculation. So you're you're absolutely right. And one thing that can catch people by surprise sometimes is even when people have a really high credit score, if you go one month and you make a lot of purchases, so you're buying a lot of furniture or back when we used to do things like travel, I have a vague memory of that happening. Um, if somebody was putting, say, like a March break trip on their credit card or, or something for their family, even one month of high utilization. So if you've got a $10,000 limit on your Visa card and you usually put a few thousand on it every month and pay it down, so and you've got a pretty high credit score, one month you go up to 9,500 and you pay it off within the appropriate time period, you could see a drop in your score because you've seen that utilization shoot up. That would be an expected behavior but you should also see your score jump back up again once that utilization passes through. So once you're back down to your normal usage pattern. I also wanna throw out an important concept, which is that credit scores are reviewed by lenders in bands. So the highest possible credit score is pretty much about a 750 or 760 or higher out of 900 as a reminder. There are a lot of people who have a fantastic credit history, solid repayment, doing a great job, and their score is maybe 780. And they look at that and say, this can't be right because I've got such a great credit history. I should have a 900. I'm here to tell you that 900s are almost non-existent. It's not because nobody's perfect. Lots of people in Canada do a great job paying off their credits and, and having a solid credit history. It's because a great score is 750, 760 or higher. So if you're at like an 820 and you see something happen that drops you to a 780, you're still in that very high category. A lender doesn't see any difference in those numbers. A lot of people don't like that reality because we're so used to getting grades in school and thinking in percentages. Like, I don't like that. I want higher than 780 out of 900. But I just want to let the, the people who are the religious credit checkers all the time, you're probably still doing great. It's funny that you put it that way because, uh, I mean, in, in our industry, they call it a unicorn. I'm sure you've heard that before, the 900 credit score. We don't see those uh, very often at all. I don't know. I think I've seen it once. Uh, from Yeah, neither do we. Like in our call centers, it's like, hey, I saw a 900. 
it, guys. Like, it's love it. It's a rare thing. I love it. Love it. Okay. So, so no, that's good feedback on, on how to obviously improve your credit. Um, you obviously shared some things not to do. Uh, so that was obviously pretty impactful and, and, you know, some, some tips there. Uh, I, I think we're going to round off here because we try to keep these episodes in, in, in drive time. And I'm sure that people are going to get a lot of, uh, out of this. Um, so kind of going forward, uh, just short, quick, and easy. Um, I've got a question. I have to ask it on the show here. Someone asked me, uh, through our Instagram channel about how they can access their credit score for free through Equifax. Because, uh, as we remember, it used to be, yeah, you had to fill out a form and send it in and then it would get mailed to you. Uh, is there a better way, Julie? Yes. So I want to make an important distinction here. You said access their credit score for free. I think you might've meant credit file. Credit file. Yes. Credit report. Thank you. So um, that's an important thing for people to be aware of. So we all have a right to a free credit file as often as we want. That is a consumer protection that is in place. And it used to be that the only way to get that through Equifax was to uh, submit a request and get it mailed to you by Canada Post. Um, you used to have to pay to access your credit report online. That has changed so that you can get your credit report, and I'm using credit report and credit file here interchangeably, so I don't want to confuse anyone on that, but you can access it for free through the Equifax website. I just want to draw people's attention to the fact that in some instances, you still would need to pay for a credit score through Equifax's website. So pay attention to where you're clicking on the website because you'll follow a link that says, okay, credit report for free here. And then you'll see another section that says, do you want your report and score? And I think the cost on that is, if I'm not mistaken, something like $23.95. You don't have to pay that in order to get your credit report. You can absolutely get it for free. If you want to buy your score, that's perfectly fine. But I just want people to know it is an option to get the file without paying. So the credit report that you would receive for free does not show you your score, right? It just shows you what's reporting on the credit bureau. Yes. Now you can access scores, as we discussed earlier, yeah. for free for people in a number of different uh, avenues. There are a number of different websites and online banking and banking apps and all kinds of places. Just for people to be aware, the score is going to vary, but even if you buy a score for, from Equifax or directly from TransUnion, that doesn't make it any better, even though you paid for it. It's just a different score version. Hmm. Awesome. Interesting. Okay. Interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah, that's, oh, yeah, that's pretty... really good to know. No, that's all good. Um, I just wanted to touch on one piece to kind of tie this all together with what we do, which is obviously the mortgage side uh, of lending. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of, I think, because consumer, there's not a lot of consumer confidence in credit and how it works. So hopefully this is helpful for some people. And a lot of people can get very discouraged if they, you know, maybe they had a, an issue with their credit in the past and they're scared to even check or they don't even want to inquire with a mortgage broker, right? Because they're worried about having that conversation again. Um, just so that everybody knows there are programs out there to help people uh, that might have damaged credit or if it's not perfect. And we push all of our clients to go through the application process sooner than later, because if you're credit isn't where it needs to be 
we can help coach you to get it there, whether it's two months away or two years away. We can help people work towards that goal. But there are different lending channels. There's you know, your banks and credit unions who are going to be a little bit more strict. Uh, there's alternative lenders who are more than happy to work with people that have uh, you know, below average credit. And then there's private lenders who are willing to work with really, really bad credit, right? Uh, even some of the, the credit unions locally here, um, they have programs where if it's in a life event, right? Like maybe it was a separation or, or something terrible happened in your life that caused those credit challenges. There are programs where you can still achieve best rates, right? So it's worth a conversation if anybody's kind of sitting on the fence. I'm so glad that you raised that. One of the things that I really like to remind people is that a credit score is not a moral judgment. It's okay to have a lower credit yeah. score. People have things happen in their life and it can you can recover from it, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Really appreciate that. Derek uh, did a great job breaking that down. And, and it's just remembering to people that A, you have options. B, there's a way to get back to come back from this, which is what Julie obviously shared with us today. And and C, obviously, there's a heck of a lot more to this than even we knew. We might have to come. We might have to have you come back on uh, if we have some more questions in the future, Julie, but we've taken enough of your time today. So we just want to thank you so much for for coming on the show and and uh, telling our listeners everything that they, they need to know to improve uh, their credit and set them up for success. Julie, uh, is there any place that we should send people, any resources, anything of that nature where they should either A, connect with you or go look for any more resources about Equifax? There is quite a lot of educational information on the Equifax website, which is equifax.ca. There is a lot of reference information about uh, deferred payments and other aspects of COVID that might affect people's credit. So if you go to that education hub on equifax.ca, you'll find a lot of reference information there. Very cool. Very awesome. cool. Thank you very much. And thank you listeners for joining us on the episode today. As always, make sure to rate us on iTunes. Uh, if you love the show, leave us a review and we'll send you one of those lovely Thrive mugs and some delicious coffee along with it. Julie, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate you. <laughs> thank you, Julie. Have a good one. That was awesome.